G'day everyone and welcome to episode 3 of Glenno's podcast. I hope everyone is having a fantastic Sunday and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I hope you have a wonderful day, whatever you're doing. And my thoughts and prayers are to those out there who no longer have their dads with them. I am sure that they're proudly looking over you from up above in heaven. So I give my dad a phone call at 7.30 this morning, just after I do my morning walk at Burley, and I wish him Happy Father's Day, and he said, Glenn, you ring me up too early. I said, Dad, it's 7.30. You should be up going for a walk and doing what I'm doing, but Dad's a bit of a night owl. He, he sort of watches movies late at night, so he doesn't go to bed to about midnight or 12.30 in the morning, so he doesn't wake up to about 8 o'clock. So every time I go for my morning walk on my days off, I'm always ringing him up too early, and he gets a bit cranky. But uh, he's got a bit of a um, croaky voice this morning, so he's uh, unfortunately, he's, uh, I think he's coming down with the flu, and uh, my mum's not the best either. But um, but look, I am blessed to still have Dad with me. Um, as I just said before, you know, uh, friends that I know that have lost their fathers, you know, it, it is a sort of a bit of a sort of a sad day today, and, and when it's their birthday, when it's Christmas and that. And um, I just want to tell you a bit of a story about how I nearly lost my dad, not once but twice. Uh, on the first occasion, I was uh, we were living in Melbourne. I was only about five or six years of age, and my dad was rushed um, to emergency, uh, the emergency hospital. I think it was at Box Hill down there in Melbourne. And uh, Dad had severe pancreatitis. He had a cyst grow on his pancreas, and the cyst burst. And uh, Dad, from what my mum was telling me, Dad nearly didn't make it. They actually brought a priest in and gave Dad his last rites. Uh, miraculously, he pulled through, and he survived that first night. And he had a he had several operations, and he had part of his pancreas taken out. And that's why my dad's a diabetic now. So he, he didn't get diabetes from diet or anything like that or a bad diet. It was because his, uh, he had a third of his pancreas taken out with that cyst that was growing on it. And the doctors did say that as he got older, he would that the chance of getting diabetes would increase, which is uh, sadly he's got type 2 diabetes now from it. So that was the first occasion. Uh, the second occasion was about eight or nine years ago. Um Dad's splenetic artery ruptured, and uh, that's the artery that goes, I think, from the liver to the spleen, and it goes at the back of the pancreas, and uh, it wasn't a pretty sight. I know this sounds a bit gross, but I'm going to say it as it is, but I wake up ready to go to work. I was living in Sydney, obviously, with mum and dad, and um, I hear dad sort of saying a faint voice in his bedroom saying, Glenn, help me, and I open the door up, and dad's on the floor. Uh, with blood everywhere and uh, a bucket full of blood. So he was vomiting up blood all night and I thought, this is not good at all. And Dad's just, he's just conscious. He's, uh, he's sort of in and out of consciousness and uh, ring the ambulance, obviously. The ambulance got there within 10 minutes and rushed him to hospital down at Blacktown and the splenetic artery ruptured. And they seemed to think that was from a previous operation when he had his spleen taken out when he was a lot younger and the artery weakened over time and it ruptured and it put a hole in his stomach and uh, we nearly lost Dad again a second time. And the staff at Blacktown Hospital in Sydney's western suburbs did an absolutely fantastic job. I know we all can be critical of hospitals and so forth and they're getting busier and busier as our population grows, but they did a fantastic job. They saved Dad's life. He was in intensive care for a long time. 
and um, he was in hospital for about six weeks all up. So he's had that. He's also had his prostate taken out, so it's probably I'm at the age now where I probably have to get my prostate checked. Uh, Dad's prostate wasn't cancerous, but uh, it was enlarged, and they took it out as a precaution. And that was, I think, in the early 2000s that happened. So, uh, so yes, so um, I'm sort of grateful to have Dad around. He's had a few close calls, and uh, it sort of just makes you appreciate, you know, having him around. And I don't see Dad much now as he, he lives in Sydney and I'm on the Gold Coast. And I was nearly going to fly down today and surprise him, um, but I just couldn't get a flight down today. All, all the flights are booked out. I think um, being Father's Day weekend, uh, people are flying up. Uh, and from Sydney and Melbourne and, and other capital cities up to the Gold Coast where they've got family up here and vice versa. So I couldn't get a flight today. Otherwise, I probably would have snuck down and stayed the night. And uh, But I might do that. I might actually surprise mum and dad and fly down one weekend and just rock up at their front door. And uh, I might do an Instagram story on that. Well, while we're talking about medical stuff with the condition or the stuff that went through with my dad, I'll just tell you a bit about what I've been going through the last few weeks. I've been getting this uh, dull pain on the left-hand side. Did I say did I say dull or dull? A dull pain on the left-hand side, and um, I thought I'd get it checked out. And the, the strange part about this is the pain only occurred from about eleven o'clock in the morning into the afternoon into the evening. But when I woke up in the next day, the pain wouldn't be there. It was only certain times of the day. I went to the doctor, and um, he said. Um, he confirmed that it's a condition called diverticulitis, and I think that's how you pronounce it. And basically, it's, it's a medical condition that causes inflamed pouches on the lining of your intestine, and uh, and they can and they can get infected. And he seems to think that what it is. He gave me um, antibiotics. Now the antibiotics have taken the pain away, and I think I'm over the hill if you could say it like that, but I do get the occasional dull pain every now and again, but nowhere near as bad. Uh, the doctor did say if the pain still persists or gets worse, even after taking the course of antibiotics, then I've got to go and get a ultrasound done or a CT scan just to confirm that's what it could be. Now, my father was telling me that my grandmother had it and she just lived with it for years and it could sort of just come and go. And uh, the only issue with that type of condition, and it, it's the last part of the colon, is generally the part that gets affected, is you can have part of your colon removed that's affected if, if it gets very bad. So that's a worst-case scenario. Best-case scenario is you take the antibiotics and it goes away and never comes back again. So that's something I've got to keep an eye on. And uh, I've been very lucky. I turned 48 in November, and I've never been... Well, I don't think I can recall ever going to hospital for anything wrong with me, except I think when I was a baby, I think I tripped over and uh, cut my forehead and needed some stitches, which I think I've got a scar up there still uh, from what my parents were telling me. So that's probably the only time I've ever gone to the emergency department at a hospital. So I've done well. I want to try and get the health record stay clean. And uh so that's just something I've just got to keep my eye on and uh, eating the right foods, high-fibre diet, and that could keep that condition at bay. So not only is it Father's Day today, it's the first day of spring here in Australia in the Southern Hemisphere. So we commence our seasons on the 1st of September for spring and 
first of December for summer, March and June for autumn and winter. But a lot of countries in the Northern Hemisphere, they don't uh, commence their seasons until either the equinox or the summer and winter solstice. So places like North America, autumn doesn't start there officially until September 21. So it's a bit different over there to how we do it here. What's concerning, though, is the lack of rainfall. And um, I'm just going through some things now, and they're saying that there's going to be a drier than normal end of year likely for most of Australia. So I'll just go through a few facts here, and this is from the Bureau of Meteorology webpage. A drier than average spring is likely for most of Australia, but places like Western Tasmania and the southwest tip of Western Australia indicates a wetter than average September. A drier than average October to December is also likely for most of Australia, meaning the remainder of the year is expected to be drier than average for much of the country. Little relief is in sight for those experiencing rainfall deficiencies after a dry start to the year um, for large parts of Australia. So um, if you look at the, um, the weather forecast for the next three months, um, it does not look good at all. It's really bad, actually. Well, with the exception, if you're living in Gosford on the central coast of New South Wales, they've had some uh, decent rainfall over the last few days. They had Gosford had its most significant rain for a couple of months. Over the last couple of days, a low-pressure trough did form down there in the central part of New South Wales, and it lingered just off the New South Wales coast, and a lot of moisture involved in that, and it led to some impressive rainfall. Gosford received 114 millimetre in the 24 hours to 9am on Friday morning, and there was a further 84 millimetres following um, in, the, in the following 24 hours. That makes it the heaviest two-day rainfall since early June 2016, when 215 mil fell in 48 hours. So, um, Gosford and uh, the central part of uh, central coast of New South Wales and probably up around Newcastle and I think Sydney had definitely some significant rainfall um, over the last uh, 24 to 48 hours or 72 hours, but the rain needs to be inland. Uh, the coast, obviously, we need rain on the coast as well, but inland is where they really need it. I'm just looking, looking at some maps from the Bureau of Meteorology now. Over the last three months, I'm looking at the three monthly rainfall deciles for New South Wales and Queensland, and most of New South Wales, with the exception of that Gosford region, was either average or below average rainfall. Uh, the mid-north coast and northern rivers region of New South Wales had around average rainfall. Inland in New South Wales in the central western and northwestern parts were very much below average and lowest on record. Uh, looks like Sydney had um, average rain or a little bit below average, and uh, way down the south coast of New South Wales is uh, very much below average. So it's a bit of a concern. Just looking at uh, Queensland, I'm just getting Queensland up now, and it's the same. We had a above average rainfall in the northern part of Queensland, just inland, just west of Mackay and that. they had um, We had a bit of a, a rain event last week in that area, which would have helped. But in the southern Downs region, in southern inland Queensland, very much below average. Um, even the Gold Coast and Brisbane, we were below average rainfall. We haven't had, uh, I cannot recall the last time the Gold Coast had significant rain in the sense of three, four, five days of heavy rain, which is what used to occur a lot when I used to come up here on holidays in January. We used to get that one week of the holiday, 
we'd have three or four days of decent rain. I think the last time we had a decent rain event, I think it was from Cyclone Debbie a few years ago. But other than that, the only rainfall on the in the Gold Coast Brisbane region that we've had are just from the odd coastal shower and obviously from thunderstorms during storm season. So it is a concern. The grass out the front of my house is dry as. I've got to try and um, start watering that and uh, putting some weed and feed on it to get it green again. And uh, my pool, during the winter months, I don't have to top it up much, but in summer you've got to, the evaporation's a lot more. But I've had to top my pool up a lot more in the winter months than what I've had to in the past. So that just goes to show that the lack of rainfall we're having up this way as well. It's very concerning out in uh, southern inland Queensland. Um, they're nearly going to run out of water in certain towns out there. They haven't had rain for a long time. Stanthorpe and Warwick in the southern Downs region in um, southern inland Queensland are in the grips of a drought so severe their water supply could dry up entirely if there is no rain by Christmas. The last uh, decent rainfall in that area was more than two years ago and it's one of five councils currently on water restrictions across in Queensland. Morale is low, which is understandable, and businesses are struggling to stay afloat as residents tighten their purse strings. Some farmers won't plant any crops at all this coming season. Now, some of you who follow me on, on Instagram and, and, and friends with me on Facebook, as you know, I go out there in that area generally around the summer months, around December, January, because they have the sunflower season. And I go out there and take photos of the sunflowers because they're beautiful to take photos of and so forth. But um, And while I'm out there, I try and buy local stuff. I know my friend Jenna, when she goes out that way, she buys fruit and veggies and that. And it's just good to support the businesses. If you're visiting those areas, just try and see if you can support the business, even if it means staying in a motel overnight or uh, doing some grocery shopping there. And I'm not talking about buying ice cream because if you drive back to the Gold Coast from there with ice cream, it's got, it's going to melt in no time. But uh, they are definitely doing it tough. And um, the Storm King Dam, which supplies Stanthorpe, is expected to dry up at the end of spring. And then the West, the Leslie Dam, which is just west of Warwick, uh, which supplies most of their township, has been gradually depleting since the 2011 floods. And it's only at 6% capacity, the lowest level ever recorded, which is 3% back in 1995. Uh, Southern Downs region is currently on extreme water restrictions, but will move to critical restrictions next month. Toowoomba, the Western Downs, Goondawindi and the South Burnett Regional Council areas are all already on water restrictions and have teamed together with Southern Downs to create a campaign to inspire generational change in the way water is used. Um, the Bureau of Meteorology is not expecting any significant rain across the region in the coming months. And normally in the winter months, we get what you call the northwest cloud band, which uh, if it's above average temperature in the Indian Ocean, uh, that's where convection forms and it comes across and troughs and so forth can activate rain and that's where they get their rain. Sometimes from cyclones, rainfall can make its way inland. Uh, the only other rainfall that occurs in that area are from, the, are from thunderstorms, and, the, and the thunderstorms can be hit and miss. So it's pretty bad out that way. Hopefully they get some rain soon, and uh, you don't want to see a town run out of water. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Okay, so who uses Waze? W-A-Z-E. It's an app you can download on Google Play and on Apple. 
and um, it gives you information of all sorts of things. It tells you if there's roadworks. It'll tell you if there's a, a traffic accident or if there's heavy or slow traffic wherever you're driving. But guess what else it does? It also tells you of any speed traps. And the police in Western Australia are not happy about it. They've urged people to stop using the platform which alerts users to the current locations of speed cameras and patrol cars. Western Australia Police Minister Michelle Roberts said using wage to dodge authorities was just stupid and urged people not to use it while in the car. Now, Waze is legal, but obviously touching your phone and playing around with the app while you're driving is not. So that's what their concern is. But I think their concern is the fact that we're dodging speed traps by slowing down on an upcoming speed camera or mobile camera or so forth. So when you use your phone, you're not supposed to be touching it while it's driving. Now, with the app, you can plan your journey before you take off, like punching in your destination and so forth, putting the phone in the cradle, and you shouldn't have to touch it. But the one of the things that Waze, Waze gives you an option to do is you can actually input traffic accidents and where speed cameras are and where highway patrol cars are patrolling the area and so forth. Now, I don't think drivers are deliberately, I could say, pull over and stop and then they put the information in and then they drive off again. They're obviously putting the information in while there's an accident or if they're held up on the freeway and not moving, they're probably touching their phone uh, to put the relevant information in to warn other users. So no doubt people are punching in information on the Waze app while they're driving. And it has exploded in Australia in recent times, the popularity of it, and it is rapidly building its user base here. So the more users on Waze, the more accurate the locations are going to be for speed traps and so forth. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm pretty sure there's people out there that put false information in. But I have used the Waze app only on several occasions, and I found it to be highly accurate. If there was a speed camera or a mobile speed camera or so forth on the freeway or on, on an arterial road, it did. there was one there where the Waze app said it was going to be. Um, so the police are a bit concerned, obviously, because they know that drivers will slow down around those areas where the speed cameras are. Now, up here in Queensland, I haven't been an angel when it comes to driving. I have been booked several times since moving up from Sydney. Uh, fortunately, I still had my New South Wales licence, so I didn't lose the points. They uh, didn't send the uh, paperwork over to the RMS, but I might have just... Uh, given myself up there. But anyway, I dodged a few bullets like that. But up in Queensland, they don't have warning signs for upcoming speed cameras. They used to. It used to be beside the van, but now they don't. In New South Wales, I'm pretty sure, especially my experience driving down to Byron Bay and that or when I've driven down to Sydney on holidays, they generally have a sign about three or 400 metres before the van and they'll have a sign after. So it gives you plenty of warning. So if you get done by the speed camera, well, tough luck. You deserve to be booked because, you know, the signs are there and so forth to warn you to slow down. Well, up in Queensland, there's no signs at all. And the vans on the side of the road could be any type of van. They, they're generally those Volkswagen vans that they use. But it could uh, – sorry, not Volkswagen, Mercedes they use. But it could be anything. They've, they've had utes. I've seen a, a Nissan Navara ute with a speed camera set up. So I've been booked a few times, not – I've been doing like 10 or 12 over the limit, but I was still speeding. 
So guilty. I had to pay the fine and move on. But the last couple of years, I've been good. I haven't been booked at all. I'm just doing the right thing, speed and not speeding at all, going by the law, and then you're safe. You've got no problem at all. So um, ways is good in that sense, especially if you're in an, in an unfamiliar area. But uh, just a word of warning, especially by pol police, obviously not to use your phone while you're using the Waze app to put in relevant information, but we shouldn't be using the phone at all, no matter what. So just something to keep in mind. Well, being the first day of spring now, spring means flowers are blooming, the weather's getting a little bit warmer, though the humidity hasn't kicked in really yet, and storm season starts to kick in. But the magpies are out, and they're swooping, as they do every spring. And I've had a few experiences with magpies in the past. Um, most recently was about 10, 11 months ago. I was walking along Burley Beach and got swooped by a magpie. Um, there was a lot of people around, too, walking and that. Normally, I didn't think magpies would go for you if there's uh, several other people around. But I was sort of in an isolated area walking along the footpath on my own because there were two paths and all the other people on the other path. And I was walking, I think it was on the cycle path, and I got swooped. And uh, it only just, the magpie was probably about 30 centimetres above me head, but I had a hat on and glasses and that. I always try and wear sunglasses, even on a gloomy, dark or cloudy day, even in the springtime, because um, most of the time the magpies will just swoop a couple of times until you're out of their area, and then they stop, obviously. But some of them are going to get a bit more aggressive, and they can nip your ear, which is what happened to my father a few years ago or they can actually get the beak into your eye if you're not careful. I was just reading an article this morning. I've got it up here now um, about a young boy. He had several scratches to his face after a magpie swooped as he rode his bike in their local park in Gisborne in Victoria and scratched his face. Um, I'm just looking at uh, his mother... Um, Jody Hines said, I saw the magpie coming. I assumed it would just swoop him like normal, but it actually came up from under towards his face. It went for his face twice, hovered and scratched with its claws. So basically what happened in that situation, the magpie didn't swoop. It just sort of hovered in front of the young boy and scratched his face. Um, I'm just looking at a photo now, and he's got significant scarring below his eye, and luckily it didn't um, get in his eye. Um, the scratches required medical attention and were disinfectant. Uh, and this was about four years ago. And uh, uh, young Ben is still wary about uh, the magpies, and I don't blame him at all. Uh, they were saying the scratches were bleeding, but luckily he, hasn't, he wasn't seriously injured. It was more emotionally scarring. So um, that's not a good experience. My mum never had a good experience when she was a kid. She got swooped, and I think she her eye was injured or her ear was injured from a magpie swooping, which leads me to this website that I found last year. It's called Magpie Alert, www.magpiealert.com. And um, it pretty much shows you the areas where people have reported magpie attacks. So it's like ways how people report where there's speed traps and accidents and that. Well, magpie alert. And I'm just on the website now and I'm just having a look at my area. And uh, people that have been swooped and that, you can report it. 
Now, this is a website, so I don't know if there's an app or not. Um, people might just go home and get on this website and you can report a magpie attack and you can filter for region. So it's got a map of Australia and you can zoom into your relevant area where you frequently walk or bike ride and you can see where I am here at Varsity Lakes on the Gold Coast. There's been a fair few attacks on certain roads and you click on it and sometimes a user will give a description of uh, how they were attacked and, and so forth. And um, and they've got two icons and uh, one in red believes it was resulted in an injury. So when you're out doing your walk or bike riding or if you're in an unfamiliar area, go to www.magpiealert.com and it will show you the latest recent attacks, magpie attacks in your area. And then it starts to settle down. By the time late November, December comes, generally the, the attacks are a lot more rare, although attacks can still happen in the summer months as well. I love my music. Um, when I was a kid, my mum used to buy me all these compilation records, you know, Ripper 76 and... Uh, 1982 out of the blue. Remember all those compilation records, the cassettes that people my age, when you were a kid, your mum and dad would buy you for Christmas or your birthday or so forth like that? I don't know what the compilation records are called now. I think it's 100% hits or something like that. I've got a big record collection at home and I've got a big music library on my computer or my portable hard drive. I used to buy a lot of songs when um, I don't have iTunes on my computer, but I used to, and I used to purchase a lot of music through iTunes. I've got a big music collection. Up until about 2010, then I sort of stopped buying music, and now that we've got Spotify and that, you can listen to music on demand of any song that you want. So I, I, I rarely buy music these days online and so forth. And I know you can go to those uh, websites where you can illegally download stuff too. Um. Because I love music so much, on my Instagram stories, I've been doing every Thursday for the last couple of weeks a Throwback Thursday series where I play the top 10 songs of a given year or of a given week. The first one I did was uh, in August 1984, so I put the top 10 songs up from that, from that week, and then most recently last Thursday, I did the top 10 songs from August 1994. And I've gotten really good feedback uh, on Instagram and that people messaging me saying they love that stuff. There's songs that they haven't heard from in a while and uh, it bring, brings back memories and so forth. Next coming Thursday, I'm going to do the top 10 songs of September 1975. I've, I get this information uh, through the internet um, but some of the charts are not available for certain years and so forth. So I've actually ordered a book from Sydney and it cost me over $100. And this book gives you the top 20 songs from every week of every year from 1949 to 2006, I think. Um, but I'm not really going to do top 10s probably from 2010 onwards because it's most recent music. Unless if people want me to play that, I will. And you can get all that information online now anyway for recent charts. And it's really good just to see, you know, songs that sort of get into your mind that you thought, I haven't heard that song for 20 years. So people are sort of loving it. So thank you for the lovely feedback. I will continue to do these top 10s once a week. And I'm also going to do a special top 10 
uh, later on in the year that I want to compile. And what this top 10 will be, or might actually be a top 15, is the songs that have been at number one for the most consecutive weeks. Now, Fernando by ABBA, back in 1976, was at number one, I think, for 14 weeks, and that held its record for a long, long time, up until a couple of years ago, and someone else knocked ABBA off. I'm not going to say who it is, but later in the year, I will do it. It'll be the top 10 most consecutive number one songs of all time. So I'm looking forward to playing that for you. So thanks very much for the awesome feedback with those songs that I've been doing. And that's it. That's episode three of Glenno's podcast, Done and Dusted. Thanks very much for listening and thank you very much for the great feedback for the previous two episodes I did. And look, we didn't even speak about photography in this episode, but we don't have to always talk about photography because uh, if anyone wants me to talk about any subjects or so forth in future episodes, just contact me through my social media episodes and I might be able to work something out. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Enjoy the rest of the weekend and that, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Bye for now.